Welcome to another episode of DQ Chats. This episode, I was lucky enough to sit down with Sam Foster and Hayden Jones from Shock Therapy at Nuts and Bolts. However, unfortunately, we had a couple of sound issues, but please hang in there with us and endure the background noise because the chat we had is well worth it. And if you don't get the Nigel joke, the leaf blower Nigel joke, you'll just have to go see their production undertow so it all makes sense. Thanks, DQers. Enjoy listening. another episode of DQ Chats. I'm Stephanie Tudor and I am here today with Sam Foster and Hayden Jones from Shop Therapy. Welcome. G'day, thank you for having us. Thank you. And uh, they are gracing Nuts and Bolts today where they're doing a political theatre student devising workshop. So can you talk us through a little bit about what your workshop will entail today? Um, Well, we're going to make it up as we go, so we'll we probably just, yeah, yeah just we're going to yeah, devise sure. the workshop. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, no, it's uh, we. I guess we figured that the best we could do as as industry professionals and mm. practitioners is to just give an insight into our process, like rather than trying to go, this is how you should teach, or you know, the, focusing too heavily on the curriculum. Obviously, we're we're aware of that, but yeah. we figured that if I was a teacher, I'd want to hear what what's happening in the industry and how. Uh, a professional company goes about devising a piece of physical theatre, uh, mm. no, political theatre, sorry. Yes. So we are just going to talk a little bit about our process of from conception of an idea and a theme and then the research and development of that idea and how it then becomes a script and how we then get that script onto the floor and how it evolves once it's on the floor and how it eventually becomes the product that a lot of the teachers then end up seeing at their school and the students end up watching. So then we might get the teachers up and terrify them a little bit with a <laughs> devising task if we uh, have, yeah. some, have some time, which it, hopefully we do. It's amazing that drama teachers, I think, are the worst in workshops. We're always the people that are hanging back. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's really good because I think... Really loud sound. Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> This is why we have a leaf blower scene uh, yeah, so in um, Undertow. Um, undertow, yeah. yeah. What are they doing? Wow. Sounds like a, sounds like a roller door. Okay. Um, I think that's really important because the biggest thing that I find challenging is when you do the concept document task that we have in the syllabus, students go, well, this isn't really yours. How do real world... Uh, theatre practitioners do it. Mm. The way you guys approach it is a lot of on-the-floor work and research, and I think that's the biggest thing that I struggle getting across to my students. You've got to try it, you've got to explore it, but you have to have the research and the information to back it up. You can't just get up one day and go, okay, this is the title of our show. Especially, especially we ne- with We something, never start like that. No, and especially with something that's sort of complex as political theatre, like mm. you have to really be informed, you have to really, really understand your subject matter in order to know how you want to tackle it and what you want the audience to walk away with. It's, it's hard to just sort of yeah. get up and just start making scenes that then are not sort of uninformed and mm. clunky. You need to have a certain amount of clarity 
and answer certain amount of questions before you can kind of do that. Which is it's hard to capture in an hour, but we'll try and give an insight into that. And um, and we also like to we draw a lot on real life, so that research phase becomes important because that actually then gives you all the ideas for yeah. the script itself or the or the scene itself. Because you're like, oh, I remember that story about that girl and or and that story about that politician or this that so you get these ideas about all these different stories and then you can dramatize those stories mm. and they you can fictionalize them and they they become the content of what you're trying to devise and make mm. anyway mm. so it's both background information about the theme that you want to explore but it's also like some actual really pointed ideas and yeah. and, and in other shows we've also used that directly as verbatim text yeah so you know, if you just jumped straight into, oh, let's just give it a go. Um, but I think the other thing that we do is we're our shows keep evolving. Mm. So once it's written, that's just the first step, and then we do it. We get it on the floor and we're rehearsing, and it keeps changing. And then we do it fifty times, and we realize that scene's a bit too short, or it's too uh, not long enough, or actually we need another scene. Like we just added a new scene to Undertow. Yeah. Like not that long ago. This year, earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, And we just we just improved it in a performance that afternoon. We kind of went. We had the idea. Scene there where that character comes back and we sort of. But again, we did we did we didn't improvise it blindly. We kind of mapped out in our heads the key points. Okay, we have this has to happen in the scene, and then on and then in the run, we just kind of fumbled our way through it. We just went, let's try it in front of an audience at a school. We just went, let's try it today. (laughs) But that's but we can only do that because you know. One, we knew the show, we worked together a lot, but two, because we had a sort of a, we had set a basis of, you know, the key marks we had to hit. It wasn't and just you know a rambling improvisation. Yeah. 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 And it's almost like you need to know the destination. You go, we're going to go here, 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 and then we're going to get to there, and then we move on to the next bit. And and so you have a map. It's like a map. You need you need to know which turns you're going to take. And, and if you kind of take a different side street or you go on a little bit of a detour you still know where you're ended, ending up having to get to so yeah but earlier in the process it's much more we're like um almost like collectors we'll have little ideas for scenes and mm. fragments of ideas that we kind of go okay keep that in the back pocket not sure how it's going to fit into the whole story at this mm. point and we'll kind of have a bunch of those mm. so that then the task is sitting down and kind of going okay once we figure out so we know our theme, we figure out a structure, and then we can kind of go, where are those key ideas that we shape the whole show around? Where do they sit? You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, that should sit at the end of Act 2. And, and then it's about sort of linking those gaps and filling it in and finding yeah. out what else it needs. Like a bower bird. We mm. just go around yeah. collecting collecting yeah. good ideas and, 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 and not being restricted by going, Oh, I don't know how that gonna, is going to be relevant to the show. Yeah, just go, it doesn't matter. It's a good idea. We just go. Is it and theatrical? Like, is that a really? Uh, does it? Is it in line with the show? Is it in line with yes. what we're trying to tell a story about? And if it's a really theatrical idea, because we, we were talking about we, a storyboard idea, like yeah. we don't, we've never storyboard. I know that's a task. Yes, yeah, they, but um, we've never storyboarded a, a theatre show, mm. and I don't personally know any theatre maker that's ever storyboarded <laughs> their show. But we do. Are you listening, QC Dunlap? <laughs> <laughs> Just, just being honest, that's not that's not something I've come across before. I know, no, obviously, I in film, that's standard. Yes, um, but that's not to say we don't think in key images. We do think in mm. key images, mm. but we think them so in our heads. We can see those key moments are, and we communicate them to one another so that we 
we understand the visual. So then when, when we it comes time to making it, uh, we can communicate that to the sound designer. That we'll describe design. it. And then the other thing we do is structure. We work a lot on the structure of the yeah. piece. And so we'll, we'll do, and a lot of theatre makers do do this, they do beat sheets before they write the script so they'll go through the whole show they'll think about the structure they'll think about who's my protagonist or multiple protagonists what kind of story is it a hero's journey is is it a tandem narrative like undertow is for us and so once you have your structure then we go through and do just like bullet point beats for every scene so this happens and then what's the next moment ah then then he comes in and and then they have an argument and then we cut to this and we cut to it. So we just go through, not in storyboard images, but in beats mm. of action. And we talk about the action and what might happen and what it might look like and, and how we might stage it. But we don't get too bogged down on that at that point. And then once we have that beat sheet of the whole show, then we go, okay, you write that scene, I'll write this scene, you write that scene, we start actually scripting the scene. So for this process, you have been in all of the works you've created, what do you do with, with your new work, Fuel, where you're not acting in it? How do you go about shaping and It's actually the that? same because yeah. you just imagine as though if we were doing it, mm. how would we we'd do it like this or what you see? So it doesn't really... No, this part of the process is sort of two major phases. There's mm. this phase that we're in now which is, you know, research and writing and developing the, 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 the show mm. as something on paper. Uh, and then there's the rehearsal process. Yeah. That's the part that will be very different um, sitting outside of it, which will have its benefits you yeah, know, absolutely. Uh, from a directorial perspective. Because um, often we miss stuff when we make a show and we're in it and we're self-directing. It, you, you're kind of making it and you're, you're in it, you're thinking about your own role. We, we kind of give each other a lot of feedback. Yeah. But there's some things, if, if it's a scene that we're both in, that we there's a limit to what you can see. We, yes. we might film ourselves doing a run. But it's not until much later once we're running that show in or we, we review it after we've done a season of it somewhere and we watch the video and we go, ah, I think that moment could be, we could fix that up, clean that up a bit. Whereas when we're directing a piece that we're not in, we can see that in real time playing out yeah. and we can talk about like, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to it actually, just being yeah. able to be in the director's seat for that entire process and, and help the actors kind of find it for themselves. And Yeah, and it, it kind of, it brings a whole bunch of opportunities in with it as well. I mean, having a, having a female lead, uh, you know, expands the types of stories that we can tell and the types of characters that can be played in our style of shows, you know. Uh, men can play women and women can yes. play men and we can play all ages and, and all that sort of up for grabs. But um, but we felt for this story, uh, you know, we needed a, a female lead in the story that can play a very straight, dramatic um, teenage girl. Mm. Um, and so I'm excited about that opportunity. And then we've left little sections in the show that we can devise with the actors as well, little mm. sections where we know the beats of action but... We haven't actually scripted them so we'll give them a bit of freedom to play with those yeah and like we might send them off. tasks and go here's a scenario and just improv that scenario mm-hmm. you're at a car meet and you're, you're showing this person that and this is the sort of the, ba- the basic structure of the interaction yeah. and then yeah. and they'll improvise through that a bunch of times and then we'll go home that night and we'll write the scene based off their improvisation so so talk us through um what fuel is and and why you wanted to do a production about it's about toxic relationships correct? yeah i guess we we you know look we're always on the hunt for themes mm-hmm. and issues that are relevant to young people um and you know we've both got kids and and um 
my son's 18 now and in year 12 and and you know i remember talking to him a couple of years ago about what are the things that he thinks are most relevant he was like relationships mm. and then in the media and and at the Around schools, there was a lot of emphasis on on toxic masculinity and toxic relationships. And I guess as two two men, we kind of felt like we wanted to speak to the issue of of toxic masculinity from the perspective of uh, it often gets bundled as a as a women's issue, yeah, right. But women are often uh, the stats say this that that they're on the receiving end of yes. this. And so you go, well, who's doing it? Yeah. Who are the perpetrators? It's men. So we felt as though we can talk to that as men about men need to be better, like mm. their behaviour needs to change, and young men in particular, rather than, you know, there's off, there's a lot of great organisations that support victims mm. and, and they're great, there's a place for that, but we, if we really want to change this, it has to be about re-education of men. Mm. Like men need to change their behaviour. And more broadly than that, there's a... There's, so the, the show kind of looks at a microcosm of a, of a relationship, but on the macro level, we look at all the patterns in society that yeah. promote um, patriarchy and toxic masculinity uh, and how that is somehow subtly influencing mm. a, a young man in a relationship and a young woman. And um, So it's a bit of a cautionary tale and, and it kind of shows all that the starting point for this and about around coercive control and how it starts really yeah. invisibly and subtly and then it can develop quite quickly into something very dangerous. Yeah. One of the things um, I love about taking students to your shows is that they're never preachy and you're dealing with teenage audiences as soon as you go, this is the way you have to be and this is the answer that teenagers, I think anyone, but especially teenagers, turn off. Mm. How do you find that balance? Because I find that that's something that's really hard to get across to students. You know, political theatre should ask questions but doesn't necessarily have to answer them. No. How do you find that balance in the devising process or is it through the research process or the stories you tell or...? Yeah, it's a difficult thing and I, I think often students tend to gravitate to, um, you know, when they make it a political work, you know, getting on a soapbox and kind of mm. can get a bit shouting at the audience about a cause. Yes. Um, you know, and you feel like you're at a political protest or something <laughs> and, um, and I understand why it goes there but uh, to your point, I think people are less receptive to that. Mm. So what we try and do is, is just tell them a story and, and rather than tell them what the message or the end goal is, we just tell them a story where the issue is self-evident and, and the, kind of the logical conclusion to come to is, is from the narrative yeah. is, uh, is the logical conclusion, you know, and, and that might be different for different people. But yeah. if you've examined the issue from a range of different perspectives and you've thrown up a whole bunch of, of different viewpoints mm. and issues along the way, um, that makes it. It complex and it gives people uh, agency to sort of think about it and come to their own opinion. Mm. Uh, so that's what we that's what we try and do. So like tapping into the human element of the issue, but mm. also kind of bringing it back to the issue itself. Yeah, and just trying to have as as many con contrasting viewpoints yeah. around the issue as possible. You can disguise your own opinion. Like I think it's it's a, it's false to go. Oh, you can make theatre and be completely objective. Mm. That's that's. Crap, you can't. You, you you have to bring yourself to it, and and it will be subjective to some extent. Um, and and I'm sure in ways in fuel, there's our own views are, are infused in there. But you have to balance that with being able to present counter views. Mm. And counterpoint makes a really good 
point of uh, balancing the argument and seeing it from different perspectives and challenging people's ideas of, of how you think or feel about. So, you know, the main kind of antagonist, I guess, in Fuel, we've, we've tried to make him quite a complex character. Yeah. Because it would be too easy to just go, he's an asshole yeah. and he's, you know, like we... Two-dimensional. Uh, yeah. And in fact, in the first version of the script, he was a bit two-dimensional and that was, we went, we need to make him more complex. Mm. Um, and that's going to challenge people. They're going to go, I don't know how I feel about this yeah. character now. Am I meant to have empathy for him? And you're like, mm. well, you're meant to understand that human beings are complex. Which might be controversial. I think it was two-dimensional in the first version because us as, as writers were kind of really aware of not confusing where the responsibility lay. Yes. And so in doing so, we, he, was, he, was a bit, he was a bit simple, but... Um, but actually, I think people can handle that. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's and it's about doing it in a way where it doesn't let the character off the hook. Um, but it is important to address the, the broadest uh, societal context which these, which people become like this. Yeah. And I think stories now with the emergence of a lot more series, Netflix series and stuff like that, um, people are writing more complex characters yes. these days. Like I didn't even know this, but there's a, a series that I just watched called Made. Yes. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. I've seen the first episode. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's there's so much about fuel. I was like, damn it. Like it's, <laughs> but it's kind of good, you know, but it's it's very, very similar in a lot of ways. It's different in many ways as mm. well. But uh, but one thing that is similar that they do is they, they make complex characters. Mm. It's not a clear journey through. Yeah, and I think that's hard to do, but I think it also is more engaging. I think you can easily write off a character that's evil or bad from the beginning and you go, well, I will never be that person because that person is so far removed from me. Mm. But if there's elements of, you know, real life and connection that you can see in there. And you can do it in a way where you don't excuse their actions. Yes. You can still say your actions are horrible mm. and, and unacceptable, but, you know, you're a complex kind of messed up, confused person. Mm. Um, without condoning the action. Yeah. And we're, we're clear where we're positioning ourselves in terms of the kind of moral compass, I guess. Yeah. Um, then I think it's it's better for the, the work benefits from having more complexity. Yeah. So is Fuel main stage next year or is it touring or is it both? Both. Uh, both, hopefully. Yeah. It's, it's in, in schools. It's targeted at sort of upper secondary. Yeah. So ideal audience would be probably year 10 and above. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we're looking at opportunities in, in main stage like we've done with many of our other yeah. shows, sort of straddle that, that line between education and, and general public. We don't try and make shows for teenagers. Yes. We just try and make shows and they, there will be teenage characters and protagonists mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. yeah, watch this space. Yeah. Hopefully it will be a season next year, if not early 2023. But in the meantime... Bookings rope. You can book it at your school (laughs) now. At your touring regionally next year as well. Yeah, a lot more than we ever have uh, before. We're going to be doing a lot more uh, regional touring, and uh, with with all the shows actually, and and not just in schools but in venue. So uh, yeah, Medea and Undertow are going to do an in theatre tour into regional parts of Queensland. So they'll be at. uh, We're just putting the final touches on that tour. Um, and that'll be an opportunity for schools and general public to come to the theatre mm. and see those shows in those regional areas. And then on top of that, we'll also be doing in-schools touring to those, some of those regions. Yeah, because there's something great about having a an incursion and having that kind of intimate connection and being able to have a small space where you've mm. got just, you know, your students. But there is also something beautiful about going to the theatre and yeah. having students in those regional areas an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and sometimes it makes more sense, in, in particularly in regional Queensland, mm. uh, 
where if you can find a central location and have five or six schools come to you, it's logistically better for everyone, for us as a touring yes. company, but also for the schools to go, well, we don't have the capacity with, you know, 15 senior drama students or mm. 15 senior students in the entire school yeah. uh, to actually have you come all the way out and perform in our hall. So we'll bring those 15 students to, to you know, we'll drive an hour and come and see it yeah. at that town. So that's what we're trying to look at. Yeah, different models. Yeah, and we've got some regional teachers um, live streaming uh, your session chat, and that's involved. I think we've um, got a number of them. So all of those opportunities um, are great to kind of involve um, Mm. people outside the metropolitan area. But yeah, communicating that is the hard thing because there's not just us, but other companies are often willing and and have the capacity to tour out there. But we've tried in the past sometimes, like doing tours and and try to trying to get the word out there and and it. uh, not necessarily getting that cut through to those regional teachers and so they're from their perspective they're going oh there's no no access to things and we're going oh no one's we're we're trying to put it out there and no one wants it so there's a bit of a we're trying to find strategies and things like today are going to be great to just let people know yes we exist look us up and we're coming out your way another um new avenue to know let people know you exist now i'm i'm gonna take my time to say this a new (laughs) podcast i don't want to don't want to stuff it up talking out your art Yes. I'm going to really articulate that last word. Um, talk me through that. Um, yeah, well, uh, we've wanted to do a podcast for a while. Basically, we're, we're big believers in art being for everybody and not just for people who consider themselves art lovers. I think a lot of people think of art or, you know, these cultural experiences as these sort of highbrow things that are that are over there and, yes. not, and not for them. You know, I, don't, I don't enjoy arts. But, you know, to, to, to show people that actually if you – if you read books, if you watch television, you know, if you wear clothes, um, if you listen to music, you're you're a consumer of art. And you're an art lover. If you have a tattoo, if you, you have a tattoo, yeah. If you practice martial arts, it's yeah. they're yeah. arts. They're, there's a creativity yeah. to all of those things. Yeah. If you live in a home, you know, yes. you know, there's design and art and creative process is it's so embedded in our day to day lives far far more than I think most people realize. So the podcast was a way for us to highlight that by talking to people who are not just from artistic fields, but obscure fields that involve some kind of creative process. So, for example, we spoke to uh, a gentleman who was the um, director of the Australian Baseball League about, wow. about who happened to be Sam's brother. But I was going to say, I referred to my brother <laughs> as a gentleman. But about curating events and that as a, almost as a, as a theatrical spectacle of, of yeah. going to a sporting event and curating an evening. Uh, we talked to a high level. All these costumes. Yeah, yeah. And the experience of the of the people viewing that is like the same experience as an audience in the theatre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked to uh, a high level decorated martial artist oh, wow. about the art of improvisation. Oh, okay, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, in the martial arts, um, talked to um, like- arts therapists, poets, yeah. um, lighting, lighting designers. designers. You know, so we're going to go all over the place with yeah. this, and and, uh, and, uh, and there, I think a lot of interesting parallels between very different fields will come up. Mm, and that would be really interesting um, from a teaching point of view to kind of engage with students and go, and not necessarily to send them to listen to it, but even just to listen to it yourself and go, arts is everywhere because I think a struggle that teachers have is going, you should take art subjects. Yeah, well, that was part of it too. And, and, you know, we constantly, because we are so connected to schools and education that, you know, and there's a, 
it's not just in schools, it's in universities yes. that, that the, and, and I think society in general, and, and there is another motivation to the podcast, which is arts is constantly feeling, uh, trying to justify its existence. Yes. And if we look at the pandemic and how the industries that got heavily affected, um, I would say not necessarily film and TV. That got kind of because there was so much money involved. Yes. That got bundled in with sports and yeah. kind of got all these exemptions. But live art, music, performing arts got crushed yes. and got no exemptions. And it's be, that is a reflection of being undervalued in our society. Yeah, and so we wanted to create a podcast that went, there is an intrinsic value and need for us to uh, value arts in our society. And, in fact, you all consume it in various ways. Now we have a beeping noise <laughs> that is just going to – oh, no, it stops. There you go. I can continue the beep if you'd like oh, more disruptions do. for this. Yeah, all of your additional mm, sound effects mm, and mm, switching mm, characters, mm. it's all just Sam and Hayden. <laughs> but you've been lucky enough to hopefully, if we can continue in this um, – non-lockdown world that we're in you have a production coming up mm -hmm. um at qt we do yes uh we were, were very uh thrilled to be a partner company um with, with qt and, and as part of that we're, we're having a season in the diane salento mm -hmm. studio which has uh, been refurbished um and it's a work called locked in that was made uh, a few years ago now um but never had an australian season and, okay. and, and it was taken over to and I was done at a festival in Norway mm -hmm. and at a theatre in Denmark. Wow. Um, and, yeah, we, we love it. It's very different. Mm. It's a very different piece for what we normally make in, yep. in, in terms of, I guess, social issue-based theatre. And it was started, so it was a collaboration with a Norwegian artist that we know. She's an actor. And this opportunity to present something at a festival in Norway came up. And she asked me, oh, what, what do you think we could do? And I, there's this book that I'd loved for years called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, mm -hmm. which got made into a film, a French film. Um, and it's about a guy who gets locked in syndrome, which yeah. is a syndrome where you're fully conscious and fully aware, so but you can't move any part of your body except for your eye. You can blink your eye. And this guy ended up, once they thought he was a complete vegetable, then they realised he was fully conscious and he started communicating by blinking his eye. And then he dictated the book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, by one blink at a time, every single letter, every single word of the entire book oh about his experience of having locked in. And it's the most, one of the most beautiful, harrowing books I've ever read. So we made a show about that. Yeah. Wow. Um, inspired by, it's not, it's not, like that was the inspiration yes. and then we just created a comes back to that research and that using the yeah. world and then creating a fictional story out of it correct and, and yeah. yeah and i would say it's, it's less about um it's less about the disease itself yes. and the, the, the details of the disorder and mm. it's more about the experience of somebody in that and, and very much about their their internal and external world and, and the difference with the sort of the the, the relationship between the two how do you how do you exist and, and stay connected when your all your faculties are taken away from you yeah. and it's also about communication you know you know how we take communication for granted and so it centers around a guy and his wife uh and um and then hayden plays a nurse character as well who's who are adding actually to this new version of the show but it's it's um it's told through we use a lot of AV um, and sound 
and not a lot of dialogue. There's, yeah. there's no script. There's a series of scenes and it's myself and Hayden and uh, Shin, uh, Shinru, who is a contemporary dancer. And also known as Raw. Yeah, she's a oh, yeah. local dancer. Yeah. Has done lots of amazing stuff, and and she is has this amazing well of emotional uh, resource that she can draw upon, and yeah. and um, and so she incredible mover. Yeah. yeah, she's got something very special as a physical performer. And so we sort of look at the issue, but she's kind of coming at it from a dance perspective and community telling the story through dance and movement and physical theatre. There is some text in there and dialogue, but it's really about this this world that we're trying to create of this experience of a guy and his partner and, and, and how they struggle to find a new way to relate and communicate with each other yeah. and how he goes on. It's quite an existential show, I yeah. would say. He, you know, as he comes to terms with his reality, he starts to go, what else exists in in our experience of this world if i can't move from this bed um i still have a mind and my mind can take flight and can take me anywhere wow well it sounds like you guys have amazing things coming up really excited to to see that and to see your 2022 season Mm. um both in schools and um on stage so thank you so much for making time for us today and thank you for making time to come and work with our teachers because we really value that so thank you for coming to nuts and bolts thank you for having us and it's yeah it's important for us you know that relationship between us as as uh, industry professionals and providers like we it's our core business doing work in education and so that relationship with teachers is, is core to our business so of course uh, it's a pleasure and a, a privilege to be connecting with teachers here today Well, thank you so much, and uh, we will catch you next time on DQ Chats. Thank you for tuning in.